Welcome to the Podcast of the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blylock entitled, Call to Serve, the Ministry of Deacons, from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible, I'm in Acts chapter 6 today. Amen. Amen. Some of you say it's a little warm in the house. Well, I remind you, this side of the building is cooler than this side of the building. Aren't you glad you're going to heaven and not the other place? Amen. Glory to God. Amen. Fan, Gwen, go on and fan. Amen. Go ahead and do that. Amen. Acts chapter 6, if you have your Bible. Amen. Amen. Pray with me. Father, we love you and bless you. We thank you and honor you. We ask you to meet us today around your word. We ask you to bless our time together. We pray that you would help us to focus in, Lord, on what you would have to say to us through the pages of Holy Scripture. Anoint me to preach it. Anoint our hearts that we might receive it. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' strong and mighty name. And God's people said, Amen. 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 Hear the word of the Lord, Acts 6, 1 through 7. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and whom, when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word, and his people said, Amen. Amen. There are many great reversals in the kingdom of God. Amen? There are many. The self-righteous are condemned. But those who admit their sinfulness find mercy and grace in the presence of Jesus. The Bible says the first will be last and the last will be first. The Bible says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's a reversal, amen? Mary said that he has lifted the lowly from the trash heap, but the rich he has sent away empty with nothing. It's a great reversal. The Bible says the greatest among you will be the servant of all, and even the Lord Jesus, the master, washed the feet of the disciples. Amen? Reversals. We find them all through the Word of God, things that don't go as you'd expect. We find very quickly in the Bible that leadership is not about putting on a title. It's about picking up a towel. Amen? Leadership in the Bible is always service. Say service. Paul kept referring to himself not as just an apostle, but as a bond slave of the Lord Jesus. He was, above all, a servant. Even Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Amen? Today our church is preparing at the close of this service to elect its pastor's council. It is a very important matter that we'll undertake together in just a few moments. It's such an important matter that I wanted to talk to you about it from God's Word before we pass out ballots and do the business of the people of God. Now, I understand, listen, everything in me after that song service wants to preach a different message this morning. Amen? Amen. You just don't have any idea how hard it is for a preacher not to change sermons right here. 
But this is the day that we've set aside to do this, and I believe that the Lord would have us to examine it. Our pastor's council in three and a half years has only asked me to preach two sermons. They don't ask me to preach sermons. They trust me to hear from God and do that. But twice they've asked me to address something. Once they asked me to preach on giving, and I did, and it worked. We had a good month, amen? I ought to preach on it every month, amen? Amen. They've asked me to preach about this, amen, and they are my co-laborers in this church, and I'm going to submit to that and, and, and do that because they've requested. They didn't demand, they requested. They said, Pastor, this is such an important thing in the life of our church. Will you open God's Word and teach what God's Word says about the role of the men and women who fill these spots so that our people know what they are selecting and why, what matters and what is so important about this selection this morning. And I said, absolutely, I believe it would please the Lord for us to do that. And so I want us to do that. I've selected the text before you today from Acts chapter 6 because most scholars agree, even though they're not named deacons in this passage, this group of people were the forerunners of the deacons. They were the leaders who helped the elders and pastors in the church to conduct the business, and keep the life of the church moving ahead without impediment. Amen? And I love this passage. It's a wonderful backstory here. What was happening in this passage? Well, William Barclay gives a great background commentary when he talks about the passage. Let me let you understand what happened in the day of the New Testament. In the Bible times, whenever they didn't have welfare, they didn't have Medicare or Medicaid, they didn't have Social Security, they didn't have EBT or food stamps. They had none of those social programs. What they did in Israel was they had the synagogue. Say the synagogue. Everyone was part of a congregation, much like our congregation. What did they do in a synagogue? Well, it looked a lot like what we did this morning. They sang, they prayed, they took up a collection. They read God's word, and the rabbi commented on what God's word meant, and then they dismissed to go live for God another week. Sounds like church, doesn't it? Amen. Our service is modeled, Christian worship is modeled after that early synagogue service. It looks very similar. Well, what they did, though, on every Friday is they would go out into the community, and two of the stewards from the church went out, and they received an offering from the community. They would take a, a, a collection, and it was two parts— Part of it was food and part of it was money. And then they would do that every morning. The ushers, the stewards would come knock on the door of every member of the congregation that they would collect from them a little bit of food and a little bit of money. And then they would go in the afternoon after they divided that up and they would return to the houses of those who were in need. If you were in temporary need of assistance, they'd put you on the list until you got back on your feet and they would share food and money with you. Once you were able to be back on your feet, they would remove your name from the list. That was temporary assistance, amen? But if you were a widow or an orphan, you were on the permanent list to receive help from the church every Friday, before sundown, on the Sabbath, they would come and they would deliver to you enough money and enough food to get you through the next week. And that was how they did that. The problem was this. If you became a Christian, they kicked you out of the synagogue. Right? So not only did you lose your church, you lost your livelihood if you were a person in need. So what did they do? Well, the church decided, we're going to have to do what the synagogue did. We're going to have to take care of the widows and orphans in our 
con- congregation. We're going to have to be their safety net. And they did that, and they adopted this very same practice that the synagogue had, had adopted. It was called the kupa or the basket. And they would collect food and offerings, and then they would distribute them as they were needed every week. Amen? What happened, though, in the book of Acts was simple. You had these group, two groups that existed in the church. The Bible tells us these people who lived in Jerusalem and were part of that original church, they were mainly Jewish people who spoke the native language. They spoke Aramaic, the version of Hebrew in their day. It was a dialect of Hebrew. You understand dialects. You speak English, but we don't sound like people from England. Amen? We speak the southern dialect. We say y'all. We drink our tea sweet. Amen? We want our sugar in the tea, not in the cornbread. That's called cake, right? Amen. We're we're just a different breed. We speak southern English. We don't sound like use guys from from, from up north, right? No. We don't sound like the people from England. We don't sound like that. We have our own dialect. The dialect spoken in Jerusalem was Aramaic. The problem was on the day of Pentecost, people came not only from Jerusalem, but from all over the area. And many of them met Jesus and settled in and became part of that first church. The problem was they hadn't lived in Jerusalem for so long, they didn't speak Aramaic anymore. They only spoke Greek, the language that sort of bound the whole Roman Empire together. If you spoke Greek, you were good. You could go anywhere in the Roman Empire and be understood, right? It was the trade language of the day, sort of like English in the world today. If you can only speak one language, you want it to be English, amen? Because you can flag somebody down. In Korea, I got lost on a subway system, and a college kid walked up to me and saw the look on my face, and in perfect English said, you look lost, could I help you? I said, oh, thank God. (laughs) Amen. If you're going to be dumb, you want to speak English. That's all I'm going to say, yes. Right, David? If you're going to be dumb, you want to be a dumb American. That's just the best way to go. You can find your way out of anywhere, amen. Amen. Here they were, but the problem was the Aramaic speakers, they were the, the, the Jewish women who spoke Greek were being left off the list. We don't know if it was deliberate or if it was accidental. The Bible doesn't say for sure. We do know that those who spoke, spoke Aramaic considered themselves to be a little bit better than the ones who did not. So it could have been they were intentionally neglecting them. That'd be bad, wouldn't it? Surely church people would never turn their nose up at anybody. <laughs> No. Whether it was deliberate or not, we do not know. All we know is it was a problem, and the problem landed at the feet of the pastors, the the apostles, and they came and said, we've got a problem here, and we need you to fix the problem. And you know what they said? You wouldn't believe what they said. You'd vote your pastor out if he said this. They brought this problem, and they laid it at the feet, and they said, Pastor, we need you to handle this. And he said, no, I'm not. Well, what are we paying him for, right? Right? The apostles said, no, we're not going to handle it. We need you to appoint a committee to handle it, and we're going to let them handle it. We've already got a plate full. We already have a job. We already know what we're supposed to be doing. It is not right for us to leave the ministry of the Word of God and to wait on tables and to take care of this ministry. Appoint seven men from the congregation full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom who have a good report. Let them be set over this business and let them handle this ministry, and we will continually devote ourselves to the ministry of of the word and to prayer. Amen. That's what they said. And so the Bible tells us this first group of leaders were known as deacons came about in answer to a problem. Say a problem. 
Well, I want us to talk about them today. Number one, what is their role? Say that with me. What is their role? Well, they're called to serve. The very title, deacon, gives away what their job and responsibility is to be. Their title is descriptive of their role and function in the life of the church. The Greek word deacon is diakonos. It comes from the root word diako, which means to be an attendant, to be a waiter, to serve errands, to serve tables, to run errands. It is someone who serves, someone who goes and handles problems and, and, and deals with issues in the life of the church. They settle the business of the church. They make sure things don't fall through the cracks. They perform service ministries. That is their function. The church is divided into two very manageable but overlapping segments, the physical and the spiritual. And yes, they connect. And that's why pastors do, handle, pastors do help handle business. And it's also why deacons have to be spiritual and not just good business leaders. Because they overlap. Amen. And both have to be addressed by both groups. The church is divided into these two groups very intentionally. Spiritual matters require task-oriented jobs. And physical service matters require spiritual guidance. The first deacons were called to serve the poor by feeding them. Deacons today have to deal with policies and procedures on all kinds of issues. Ask our pastor's council members, and they'll tell you they've dealt with things like purchasing major equipment, handling custodial tasks, building maintenance, budgeting, finances, setting salaries for pastoral and staff members, deciding about benefits, keeping up grounds, addressing traffic flow, parking problems, building codes, fire inspections, emergency exits, classroom equipment, a growing children's room that keeps running out of chairs every three or four weeks. Thank God for that. Amen. Amen. Public relations, transportation, and a host of other things. Amen. In fact, it was wonderful a couple of years ago our, for our second trunk or treat whenever Ronnie Sheffield came to me and said, Pastor, the police just showed up. We have the entire road blocked out here. It's not a party till the cops show up, right? Amen. Amen. Yeah. Amen. How did we fix that? Well, we had a mobile policeman join our church, and he's going to help us tonight. Amen. God, thank the Lord for that. Yes. Amen. Y'all hug Bobby Lunsford when you see him. Amen. Tell him, Melinda, I bragged on him today. Amen. Amen. He's going to help us tonight. These men and women help us do so many things. We need deacons to oversee committees in the life of our church. Not only do they do things, they lead teams that do things. They put together committees and other groups underneath them that just address problems and issues in the life of the church. The finance committee, they count, deposit money, plan budgets, help me address financial issues. The building and grounds committee, everything from air conditioning to plumbing to electrical and landscaping to additions and expansions. This is a lot of property to maintain. Amen. And it is many of the things in our property, uh, the replacement time has come due on them. And this council has worked tirelessly in order to do that. Amen. Chris has been on speed dial for four years, hadn't you, Chris? Just, I mean, bless his heart. He's just, he's so excited about coming off this time. He's just, he's already planned his vacation. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. I mean, this, they've done a great job. I, can I just take a moment? Let me tell you something. I have enjoyed working with these 12 men and women. They have done a stellar job. And would you just let them know for a moment, they have done an amazing job. Amazing work. Amen. Amazing work. I'm so proud of them. They have pulled together. We've had moments of intense fellowship. We've never fought, but we've had moments of intense fellowship. 
We've had passionate discussions about things that were dear to us. We walked out of a couple meetings and hugged one another's neck and looked at one another and said, are we good? Yeah, we're good. Okay. Why? Because we're passionate about our church. Because the 12 men and women who sit in these seats love the Forest Hill Church of God. They are jealously devoted to it. They long to see it go forward. They invest time and money and energy and sweat and prayers and tears and much labor in the life of this church. And I'm so thankful for them. And listen to me. We need to make sure today that we continue to have a great group of leaders like the ones we've had who will not miss a beat but step in where they've left off and continue the work of the kingdom of God. Finance committee, building and grounds, guest relations, security, benevolence, social activities, transportation, missions, all of these things and many more fall under the purview of your church and pastor's council. They run point on these issues. They lead the way on these items, not me and the staff. It is important that you think through who you vote for today. They need to be men and women who meet the biblical requirements because their job matters so very, very much. They serve God by serving people. Say that with me. They serve God by serving people. Years ago, a deacon whose faith has been, had been revitalized during a Sunday night evangelistic service came to the pastor and said, Pastor, I just want you to know I love the Lord in this church and I'm available for service any way you can use me. He assured him he would be able to be called upon. Well, later that night, a widow woman in the church called the pastor and said she was desperate for a ride for her young son the next day to go and to see a specialist for an appointment, a follow-up visit. The pastor already had an appointment the next day at another surgery, and he couldn't go, so he called this deacon who was eager to serve and said, I've got your first assignment. Can you go and take this woman and her son to the specialist tomorrow. Well, what he didn't tell him is it was three hours away, amen? But he put her in the car, and they drove, and they went, and he served the Lord. While they were going and coming again, he went and took, took the day off work, took comp time, and went and served. And while they were on the way back, this mother, uh, she goes with the little boy, and they come back, and the little boy's sitting on the seat next to the deacon, and he looks at him, and he smiles, and he says, Excuse me, mister, can I ask you something? And he said, yeah, son. And he said, you're God, aren't you? The deacon looked and said, no, son, I can assure you I'm I'm not God. Why would you say that? He said, because last night I heard my mama crying and praying to God for somebody to be able to take me to the doctor today. And you showed up this morning. Amen. He said, well, you must not. He said, if you're not God, he said, you must work for God. And the deacon smiled and said, yes, son, now more than ever. Now more than ever, deacons work for God. Say that with me. Deacons work for God. They serve the church because they love the Lord. They serve the church because they love Jesus. And they love his body. They love this congregation. Amen? What is their purpose? Why do we need them? What is the function biblically for this group of people? Well, let's talk about that today. In this passage, it seems clear enough that the purpose of this group was to take certain tasks off the plate of the apostles, right? The apostles had their wagon loaded, and when the ministry began to multiply and grow, they couldn't handle everything, and these people were selected to help them. Amen. If your pastoral team is going to have to spend large amounts of time on the items that we just listed, they won't have the time or energy available to focus on the things that they're primarily responsible for. I heard one pastor say, if your pastor changes light bulbs, the building will be bright, but the sermons will be dull. Amen. 
Amen. Some of y'all will catch that on the way home. It's okay. The pastor and his staff have responsibilities, and I want to tell you, there are a lot of them. Amen. Uh, we'll be up here all day today getting stuff ready. That's just how that works. For tonight, we work hard. We work a lot of hours, and it's not office hours. Amen. We do a lot outside of that time block. Um, people laugh at us and say, well, how's your day off on Friday? And I always smile and say, the office is closed on Friday. That doesn't mean a lot most weeks. Amen. It just doesn't. We're often still plugging away and working. Saturdays, in the evenings, all day Sundays are pretty regular for us. We don't mind that. We love doing that. God called us to it. We wouldn't do anything else. We enjoy doing this. But we can't handle everything on that list that I just put up a minute ago. We have to have the help of others. You see, the church has two kinds of ministry. Spiritual and evangelistic, which is rightly the work of the team of pastors. It also is social and economic. And that is rightly the work of another group of people in the church. Deacons are not there to tell the pastor or the staff how to do their jobs. They're there to relieve the pastoral team of certain tasks so they can do their jobs without distraction. I know that is often a, a misunderstood item by many people in the church. Amen? They're not there to hold the pastor to account or evaluate his job performance. If you don't think I'm doing a good job, don't tell the pastor's council. Wait till next Sunday and Terry Hart will be here. He is my administrative bishop. He is my overseer. And he's the one to tattle to if I'm doing something wrong. Amen? He's my boss. He's over me and the Lord. That's the person that you talk to. I've got his cell phone number if you'd like it. Amen? Amen. I, I, that, that's fine. But the council's job is not that. That's the overseer's job. He's the bishop. He is over me and the Lord. And I, I am in submission to him and I serve at his pleasure always. The council's job is to clear the plate of the pastoral team of things that have little or nothing to do with their primary job so we can focus on shepherding the flock, leading the church in services that center around worship, prayer, preaching and teaching God's word. The deacon's primary job was not deciding policy, it was implementing policy. It was handling day-to-day -day assignments. They were selected by the congregation and then they were appointed by the apostles. The church selected them and the apostles laid their hands on them and assigned them to their work. That's what we do on the council. They are elected by the church, and then when they have their first meeting, I assign them different areas of oversight. How does that work? Some of them will lead a committee. Some of them will serve on a committee. Some of them will be representatives of various departments in this church. You may not know this. Every major department in the church has someone on the council who represents them. If Chad needs something from the music department, if Seth needs something for student ministries, if John needs something for media or college, if Shay needs something for the kids department, if the senior adults need something, they have a representative on that council who speaks for them and makes sure we don't do anything by way of a decision that would negatively affect one of those departments. They represent and champion the department for which they are called to be a liaison. And they do a great job of that. Who selects them? The pastor whom they represent selects them. And they have a good working relationship with them. Amen? If we try to do anything that would negatively impact that kid's department, you'll have to get through Libby Ivy for that. Amen? Because she fights for that kid's department. Amen? Amen. That's, she knew how to pick them, didn't she? I mean, the only woman on the council. What man in that room is going to say no to Libby Ivy? Those kids get whatever they want back there. Amen? Glory to God. <laughs> 
They do a wonderful job. They help me keep my hands on these departments. They also lead other groups and they help us do that. They're appointed over these areas of oversight. Being a deacon isn't an office, it's a function. That is why when we, whenever we call them forward, we anoint their hands, not their heads. They're here to serve and we pray for them and bless their hands for the work of service. You know, many people came from Baptist background or a church with a very different government structure than ours, and I understand that. And you may be used to things operating in a different way. All I can tell you is, welcome to the church of God. Amen? We do it different. How do we do it? Well, we believe we do it according to the Bible. Amen? Oh, yeah, I said it. We do it according to the Bible. The church of God is right. Hallelujah to the Lamb. The church of God. Amen? What does the Bible say? The Bible said that the apostolic leader, the apostles, went into these areas and they appointed leaders in these different areas. Paul is the one who sent Timothy to serve somewhere. Paul sent Titus to Crete, told him your job is to go and set the church in order there. You're in charge of that entire island and you're to be in charge of the church there. You are to go and set elders in every church. You're to help them select deacons in every church. Who was Paul? He was the presiding bishop over all those churches. Who was Titus on the island of Crete? He was the overseer of Crete. That's who he was. Who led the churches on Crete? The elders that he appointed. He didn't elect them. He appointed them. Say he appointed them. How did they get their pastor? They were appointed by a leader. How did you get your pastor? Wait a minute, pastor. We voted. You voted, but it wasn't official until the overseer wrote my letter and signed his name on the bottom. And in my desk drawer, it says, signed by Raymond Culpepper, you were appointed as pastor of the Forest Hill Church of God. And I want to tell you, he can unappoint me. Amen. I serve at his pleasure. I'm under the leadership over me in the Lord. The, pastors are, the pastor is appointed under the direction of the overseer. Where would you get that from? We got it from the New Testament. That's where we got it from. Mm, quiet in the holiness church. Wonderful. Let's teach, let's teach what the Bible says about government this morning. I became church of God because I believed in a centralized form of government. I'm not saying everybody else is wrong. I'm just saying ours is better. That's all. Amen. Because the one that's more biblical is better. <laughs> and the overseer appointed elders in the church. And those elders raised up other elders to help them shepherd and pastor that church. The deacons were selected by the congregation. And their job was to help the elders and pastors to, to manage things in the life of that church. So you have apostolic leadership. You have a pastor who leads a team of elders. And then you have deacons who help those pastors and elders by taking responsibilities off their plate. That is the model you find in the New Testament. It's the model you find in the book of Timothy and Titus. It's the picture that you find in the book of Acts. And it is the model that the church of God has adopted. So we have a state overseer. He's our apostolic authority. He'll be here next Sunday. You all better be here. Don't embarrass me by laying out of church when the bishop comes. Amen. I will come to your house. Amen. I'll bring him to your house. How about that? Amen. He is my apostolic leader. He represents the government of the church of God, and I'm thankful for him. Amen. I am the pastor of the church. I was appointed here with the approval of this great congregation for which I am most thankful. Amen. It's hard to serve when people don't like you being there. It really is. Amen. Who, and many people have come to me and say, well, what about the pastoral staff? They work for the pastor. They serve at the pleasure of the pastor. They work for me. Amen. 
I often get input from other people before I hire someone in pastoral ministry. But at the end of the day, those are people who serve in ministry as elders alongside of me. Therefore, the pastor selects the pastoral team. Amen. I didn't know that. Well, now you know. Amen. As my friend said, if you didn't know, you wouldn't know. Amen. Well, now we know. That's how that works. Amen. What happens? They help me as elders, ruling elders, guiding elders in this church to run ministries, to set the agenda for the church, and to help move the church forward in the things of God. Well, what is a pastor's council's job? They serve as deacons in the life of the church. They are there to take responsibility off the hands of the pastoral team so that they may do their job well. If your name is on the ballot this morning, you need to know that you will mainly be helping the pastor address problems and take care of business. You'll be assigned to a committee. You'll help maintain things like buildings or create budgets or deal with benevolence requests or plan mission projects or any other number of functions. You won't be the head of the complaint department. You will not serve as the spokesperson for the disgruntled or the chairman of the criticism committee. Amen. Your job will be to relieve friction, not to report it, and certainly not to cause it. Amen. Amen. Whenever friction hit the congregation, they chose deacons and handed it to them and said, go deal with the problem. Amen. Your job is not to cause trouble, it's to fix trouble. Amen. Amen. And that is what it means to be a good pastor's council member. I want to tell you, the very best men and women who serve on the pastor's council, and we've got some of them here, I love them. I love the way they do. They come, and they are so faithful to help me. You will not know how many times they come, and when they report a problem, they say this, and these are my favorite people. Pastor, it has come to my attention that this is a problem. And I was thinking about it, and I think this might be a great way to go about fixing it. May their tribe increase. That is their responsibility. Pastor, we saw a problem and we came up with a solution. What do you think about this? And then we tool that solution around the table and we vote on it and say, that's the play, run the play. Amen? Snap the ball, let's see how far we get with it. That is the function of deacons in the life of the church. Amen? What are their qualifications? Even though these original seven are all men, Other portions of the scripture bear out that deacons can be men or women. You say, Pastor, where would you get that from? Look in your Bible at Romans 16, the first two verses, and you'll find where I get that from. The Bible tells us that Paul wrote a letter to the church at Rome commending a certain woman to them. She was a member of another church at Sincrea, but she was on their way to the church at Rome to handle business for the church. She had been appointed to a task by her pastor, and she'd been sent on an assignment. And so Paul writes a letter for her, vouching for her, so that when she gets there, they will cooperate with her, and I'll help her in the business that she has. Look at what it says. I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Sincrea, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, notice this, and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. She's there on assignment. You see it? She's doing a job, and you are to help her any way you can. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. The key word is the word servant. I told you the word for deacon was diakonos. Guess what this word is? It's the feminine form of that word, diakonos. What is she? She's a deaconess. 
Phoebe is a deaconess of the church. When you study church history, you find out that the early church realized there were some jobs better handled by men and some jobs better handled by women. And so they not only needed men serving, they needed women serving because sometimes it matters which gender addresses an issue or shows up to lead in a way of service. Remember, these people were dealing with widows and orphans and often helping the poor. Many times they were even helping them with physical needs. Many things that they were required to do, it would have been inappropriate for a man to do. So the church said, we need a team of men and women who can step in and help. When you read about early church baptisms, men helped the men, women helped the women. They divided tasks. They had men's ministries. They had women's ministries. That's as old as the Bible. It's as old as the New Testament. The apostles did, however, tell the congregation the servants that they were to select, whether they're men or women, had to meet three very important qualifications. The first one is moral. Say moral. Say it like you ate your Wheaties. Moral. They must be men of good report. Underline good report. What does that mean? They have to have a good reputation in the community. They have to be well thought of. It matters what people think about these people who serve in our church because they are representatives of the church. And if people believe that they are not upstanding, people won't attend your church. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people make snide remarks about a church and say, well, it must not be much of a church because so-and-so is a deacon down there. Wow. Isn't that awful? That's awful. And so we need men and women who commend the work of God and who represent well the ministry of the Forest Hill Church. That's what it requires. They must be moral, men and women of highest character who are well thought of in both the church and the community. 1 Timothy 3, verse 8 says this, Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also be first tested and let them serve as deacons being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own house as well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Jesus Christ. I love that. Verse 11, it says, Likewise, their wives, the literal Greek word is, and the women. Some people believe it means the wives of the deacons. Some people believe it means the women who were also serving as deaconesses. Either way, the standard is pretty clear. These men and women who represent must have the highest moral character. Say character. The first requirement is moral. They must lead the way in morality. Their first requirement is a moral requirement. I want to tell you, I'm looking for men and women who will abide by the practical commitments of the church of God. I believe that is important. If you're going to serve in leadership in the church of God, surely you should be able to abide by the teachings of the church of God. Amen? You know what our church believes. You know what we teach. If not, you should before you allow yourself to be brought into its leadership. Amen? Amen. And so I insist upon that. If you're going to be a leader in the church of God, you abide by the practical commitments. Amen? Whatever you believe about sipping saints, I don't want any sipping deacons. Amen? Amen. If you can't stay off the boat, take your name off my ballot this morning. 
I didn't blink and I didn't stutter. You're going to abide by the practical commitments of the church of God. If you're going to be a leader in this church, you're not going to give this church a black eye by not living up to the teachings. This is a holiness church. And the day it stops being a holiness church, I'll stop being its pastor. I won't have a part of it. If you're going to be in leadership, you can live up to the commitment of being a leader. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. Moral. It's moral. Number two, it's spiritual. They must be men and women who have great spiritual character. Men and women who are full of the Holy Spirit. That's what the writer said here. Men of good report who are full of the Holy Ghost. We need men and women who are spirit-filled. Even though their function is dealing with business rather than preaching or leading the service of worship, their business is spiritual in nature. They must be men and women who are submitted and under the control of the Holy Ghost. The servants have to deal with difficult issues, come up with creative answers to tough problems, and they have to do it with a Christ-like attitude because although they fix problems, they deal with people, and they must have the spiritual ability to deal with people and do it with grace and with tact. Amen. They must remember that the church has business, but the church is not a business. It's a family. It's a kingdom. It's a living, breathing organism. It is God's colony and heaven's embassy. It's the body and bride of Christ, and the leaders must represent that well. It isn't a democracy. It's a kingdom, and Jesus is the only king, and we're loyal to him, and what he wants matters more than what we want or anyone else wants. Being full of the Holy Spirit is not primarily determined by our gifts. It's determined by our fruit. Amen. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Patience, long-suffering, forbearance. All of these things need to be evident in the life of a leader in the church. Amen. A rather pompous-looking deacon was trying to impress a class of Sunday school boys about the importance of living the Christian life. He spoke very, very gravely and somberly and had a frown. And he asked the little boys at the end of his lesson, why do you suppose people think that I'm a Christian? And one little boy said, I don't know. Maybe they don't know you that well. <laughs> Amen. Amen. May it never be. Amen. May it never be. Spiritual, full of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost to make you sweet. Amen? Amen. Those who sit around the council table must be able to discuss, even debate and disagree without losing their cool, without blowing their top, without pursuing a private agenda. They must be strong and gentle at the same time. They must be knowledgeable and patient as well. And so what are the requirements here? They're moral, they're spiritual, and number three, they're practical. Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Say wisdom. They've got to have good horse sense, good common sense. They've got to be practical men and women, people who just have a good head on their shoulders, people who have good business sense, people who won't let you get the ball off in the tall weeds, and when you do, know how to get it back out again. Amen? People who just have a good level head. This election isn't a popularity contest. It is about choosing men and women who can be set over important business, who know how to network and problem solve. I have a couple guys on the council now who are great at this. They always have a solution in mind when they come with me with a problem, and I love them for that. May we get more like that on this council. The bylaws of our denomination are very clear. The qualifications for a man or woman to serve on the pastor's council are as follows. Number one, they must be a loyal member of the church adhering to its teachings. I just said that. Number two, they must be baptized in the Holy Ghost. Number three, faithful in tithing. Number four, a regular church attendant. 
Number five, one who works in harmony with the local, state, and general church programs and reflects a cooperative attitude toward the progress of the church. These are the requirements listed not by our local church, but by the denomination. This is the Church of God General Assembly minutes that I just read to you. These are the requirements in every Church of God congregation of its leadership. This is what the Bible insists we must have. If you're elected to the council, you'll be expected to lead by example through your faithful attendance. I said you'll be expected to lead by example through your faithful attendance. Your giving your participation in special events, service in the church's ministries, and support of its total program. Pastors, council members are men and women who are all in. They're all in. They're most committed to the life of the church. One morning, a deacon sent his apologies, claiming he was home with the flu. One of the members told on the pastor and said, I know for a fact he was on his way to a ball game. The pastor confronted him and said, I heard you weren't sick at all. I heard you were at a ball game. And the deacon said, that is an absolute lie, and I have the fish to prove it. <laughs> Leadership means you go first. Leadership means we show up when nobody else shows up. We lead the way. We do it first. We chime in. We show up. We set the pace by leading by example. As you vote today, I urge you to consider whether or not the candidate that you are selecting is faithful in church attendance, loyal in participation in the total program of the church. If you're too busy to serve, then you're too busy for this position because it is a service position. Amen? Amen. We will be expected to attend Monday night meetings on the average of once a month as well as some additionally special called meetings when urgent business arises. You'll be called to lead or serve on various subcommittees of the council, as I've mentioned, possibly to serve as a representative or liaison to a major department, such as youth or worship or children's or senior adults. Hear me today. You'll be called upon to abide by the local church's policies regarding issues about confidentiality, solidarity, and hospitality. Amen? Confidentiality matters. If you can't keep things to yourself, you can't serve as a deacon in the church. It's just that simple. We, take a, we, take a, we make a promise when we join the council. We will be confidential about council business. And council business cannot be leaked outside to the larger body. We often talk about many things that are very private and delicate in the life of our church. They must be held in confidence. And I will insist upon that. Amen. It must be done. We talk about solidarity. What does that mean? It means even if you don't get your way in a council meeting, when the council makes a decision, we walk out of that room saying this is the decision that we have made. And we made the decision even if we didn't all vote for it. And even if we as you, when we walk out of that room, we decided this is the play where we call and this is the play we're going to run. Amen. And that's how we roll. Solidarity. That's how we do it. Amen. If you can't be a team player, I'm sorry. This is a team sport. Amen. It's quiet in the Holiness Church. I'm having more fun than I've had in a long time. Amen. <laughs> Amen. In summary, and I'm closing, you're about to vote. Don't leave. You got to vote. Oh, it's not lunchtime yet. Not quite. According to Ephesians 4, ushers, go ahead and get ready for me, if you will. According to Ephesians 4, the pastor is the chief elder, appointed by apostolic authority. He governs the church. He shares his ministry with other pastors, teachers, elders, who help shepherd the flock, lead groups of people, 
drive the train on vital ministry and care for the flock. The pastoral staff is served by a group of loyal leaders called deacons who help keep as many business-related tasks as possible off their plates by creating and maintaining support ministries within the life of the local church. Our ushers are going to be moving among you in just a moment. They're going to be presenting with you a ballot. It is important that you... Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at The Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org, join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.